if you look at when we started off the internet way back in the 90s, we didn't think about, a lot of people didn't think about the global connections that we would have. And so that brought on all the atrocities and all the issues that we're having today with the current internet. AI is gonna have the same problem because AI is not just on one continent on this planet. It's integrated, it's gonna be integrated with every culture and every continent and every government. Welcome to the Unleashing AI podcast, hosted by Pavel Fakanov. Join us as we speak with industry experts and explore the wonders of innovative, custom-built AI and how it can help grow your business, whilst also delving into the latest developments in the fields of machine learning and artificial intelligence. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Welcome to the Unleashing AI podcast. I'm your host, Pavel Fakanov, and joining me today is Tim Bates, Chief Technology Officer of Global Accounts Business at Lenovo. And Tim is an IT professional, is really innovative thinking reputation, and he has a lot of knowledge and success stories across security solutions, applications development, virtual adoption, and infrastructure consulting. And before Lenovo, Tim actually spent 18 years with General Motors, where he held numerous roles, including senior manager, chief immersive technology strategist, and he also was granted the rare honor of technical fellow, a position only 1% of all senior engineers and scientists at large corporations actually hold. Tim, it's amazing to have you here. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Appreciate the uh, invite, actually. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> be fun. Yeah, my pleasure. Yeah, Tim, I know I just gave pretty long introduction about you, but if you don't mind, can you just basically introduce yourself, just tell a little bit about your background, like your story, all of that. So yeah, my career kind of starts off pretty crazy. I started off in my teen years where basically I was a white hat, black hat hacker, ended up being hired or recruited by the U.S. Marshal's office to actually start off the cybersecurity industry where I was uh, helping the government track down other people that were using blue boxing, black boxing tools or credit card hacking tools because I wrote some of the original applications out there when I was in my teens. From there, I joined the military at 19 and became an encryption and communication specialist during Desert Storm. Received a couple of medals for my work in identifying viruses and things during Desert Storm and some communication encryption work. From there, I basically left the military and joined Deloitte and Touche as a manager and was again recruited to move over to the consulting side to become Deloitte and Touche consultant. And from there, my career continued. Actually, at Deloitte, I started the security industry kicked off a lot of architectures and frameworks for protecting organizations, even Windows NT back then, creating the standards and profiles around controlled assessments around that system, and then moved on to basically where everybody else went, started a company for a couple of years. And after that, decided, now being a company owner wasn't for me, and went back to go work General Motors in 2003, where they found that they wanted a hacker, they wanted somebody to come in and help them with their perimeter and figure out how to protect themselves. And there I became their lead security manager, which is equal to a CISO for North America, Canada, and Mexico. And about 2010, I decided to switch my studies over to immersive tech and other things, this deleting trended technologies in the industry to see where I could take General Motors and pretty much the industry too. That led into immersive technology, my breakthrough work where was doing digital twin type of uh, simulation configurations and immersive desktop type environments for the engineers, as well as the configurator that we did with the Corvette configurator, which was pixel streaming with Unreal. From that standpoint, obviously, XRAR is not going to make it by itself. And that's where I looked at 
when you look at remote training, you're going to need some kind of help. And that help is going to be AI. So we started working with AI to help understand where the engineers or trainers or people that were using the headsets would do work, but use AI to help correct and make it more efficient. And that's where I believe AI is going to help us in the industry across the board, which is making people or humans more efficient at what they do. It's like watching uh, what we call a Robotron movie or cartoon and the human is inside the robot. It's not by itself. So that's the vision I kind of have. And I'm, well, I'm excited here to talk to you today. Definitely. It's really like interesting transition, to be honest, from like security to immersive technologies, XRVR, and now basically to AI. And it would be like really interesting just to get like your perspective on, let's say, the current AI state, on ethics around AI, all of that. And maybe also just to start, if you can tell basically me and our listeners a little bit about your current position, because you're CTO of global accounts business at Lenovo. Can you just maybe explain to me what it means? Like, what do you do? Okay, well, basically, as a CTO of account businesses, my responsibility was to be like an augmented CTO. Basically, to all of our global accounts, I go in where their CTOs are really focused on the day-to-day business, and they have long-term plans. Well, they don't usually have enough bandwidth, and I know I was in the same boat when I was with General Motors, not enough bandwidth to really think about all the things that are coming up in the future, near future and far future. So as a futurist technology or as a CTO, that's my responsibility. My position at Lenovo is coming to an end, and I'm actually going back to teach. I'm looking at basically working with more of the under-representatives and helping them basically get to where I've gotten in my career with technology because technology itself now is not as difficult, as complex as it was when I was first starting out. And so I have this thing that basically for the next 10 years of my career, I want to basically give back and bring other people that haven't been able to experience the technology into this world. That's really inspiring. That's really amazing. And just to start, let's say, the conversation around, let's say, AI applications and just ethics, let's say around AI, maybe just a quick question. How do you see basically challenges, ethical challenges around AI and machine learning, let's say, in the next couple of years? What's basically going to be happening? Well, when it comes to ethics, I think we're going to have a challenge because of the global economy or the global world that we are in right now. If you look at when we started off the internet way back in the 90s, a lot of people didn't think about the global connections that we would have. And so that brought on all the atrocities and all the issues that we're having today with the current internet. AI is going to have the same problem because AI is not just on one continent on this planet. It's going to be integrated with every culture and every continent and every government. And so when it comes to ethics, we all have different forms of ethics. They kind of all go towards the same thing in some cases, but they start off in obviously different places when you start thinking about religion, because ethics is based on what we believe and what we've brought up from a religious standpoint, just from historical standpoint. And so that's going to be the clash on ethics. And what we have to do is basically figure out how are we going to bring a global world together or a world of global cultures together and not really go to a new type of cyber war with AI against each other or AI doing it to us because of ethics. You know, one person may say, this is okay. Like, if you think about historical people who have done bad, like Sam or Sam, you know, that was some bad things that happened there. But what if that individual decided to program an AI with their thoughts and their beliefs, and then that AI was given out for free? You know, everybody wants something for free on the internet. And they start believing that's going to be a a paradigm shift in how people think and how we interact with each other. 
if the people that are very encourageable start to use that AI, you know, but if governments or we have licensing or something in place to prevent that, maybe that wouldn't happen. But again, how do you do that globally? That's the big question from an ethics standpoint. Definitely. And I think like most people actually don't understand it or probably just not giving it like enough thought, just understanding how it's basically working. And I would like just to take your perspective. How do you see a solution? What we actually can do, like, let's say in that situation? I think basically we have to start with the big rules. Okay. Just like we have the big rules in religions, you have the Ten Commandments, you have their big rules that are in place to prevent you from doing crazy things like thou shall not kill, thou shall not hurt. Those are some of the things that we should put in place from an ethics standpoint. And it shouldn't be so restrictive where companies and individuals can't expand the technology, but in a way that it helps them think about the things that they're doing. It's like if I gave an individual a gun and I said, hey, the gun can kill people if you shoot a person and not to do that. From an ethical standpoint, they probably won't do it. But if they had no ethics, they'll probably shoot a person. With AI, what we're proverbially giving everyone globally is a loaded gun. And we have to show them how to wield that gun. And not that they can't use it, but how to wield it in a global environment where you're not going to basically insult or hurt or harm another individual. I read recently that an individual young lady took GBT in and started using it as a counselor and ended up committing suicide. You know, is that GBT's fault or is that the individual's fault or is it society's fault for not explaining how to use this tech or how this tech works? And I think, you know, that's going to be the biggest thing that we have to do is Put the big rules in, get our children, the younger community to understand this is a AI and, you know, there are certain things that you want to do with the AI and there are certain things that you have to understand when you're talking to AI, how to integrate, you know, maybe it's not all real, maybe some of it is real, but still it's like we shouldn't have those type of situations happening when people are using AI. It's a really good point because I think most people... They're just afraid of AI and they just start thinking about limiting AI capabilities, but not many people actually think, okay, AI tool is actually super powerful, but why don't we just create, let's say, a set of rules to follow while actually using AI? Let's say not limit the capabilities, let's just use it the right ways. Like the same thing basically as with the internet. Okay, internet actually can be used, let's say, for really good things and really bad things. And it doesn't make it like a bad thing because of that. Right. It's like the internet. We have predators on the internet. But what have we done over the last 10, 20, 15 years with the internet? We've taught our children about those predators and what to look out for. We've even put government agencies in place to help track those individuals down when they do bad. I believe the same thing has to happen with AI, except it has to be really at a global level because, again, we have different rules in different countries different mindsets in different countries, they have to come together to think about what are those big rules. Okay. And also about two months ago, there was like an open letter from, let's say, a bunch of people in Silicon Valley and in the US about, let's say, just stopping giant AI experiments because people just getting like, let's say, so scared about the capabilities of AI, what it actually can do. And Elon Musk actually was like one of the people who actually signed it as well about just stopping basically building models larger than GPT-4. Would be really interested in your take on that. Like, what do you think? Is it like right move, not the right move? I don't think it's the right move to stop, okay? I think it's the right move to put rules in place. The right move to stop just gives big businesses like the companies out there right now that's been pretty much, if you ask me, hiding AI for the last 15, 20 years. GPT chat is not something that's new to the industry. It's new to the 80% in the world. But what GPT is doing is no different 
than what Watson could do or DeepMind could do from Google or even Amazon's or Meta's Llama could do in the background. But it took a lot of development and a lot of ingenuity from a programming to make it happen. Today, it's kind of like the easy button. What GPT chat has created for the world is I wanted to play with AI. Boom, here's the easy button. So from that standpoint, that easy button has bursted into some serious big innovation, you know, in garages. So whether we want to stop it or not, it's not going to stop because, you know, from me being a former hacker and a white hat hacker today, I know systems exist out there that I can go and use and build even a bigger, basically, platform that AI did on the internet. So it's going to happen. What we have to do is put the rules in place. I call it Pandora's box is already open. So let's figure out how to manage Pandora's box, not stop Pandora's box, because if we stop it, people like Lucky Palmer wouldn't have never reinvented the VR headset back in 2015 to get us where we're at with AR today or XR today. If we stopped a lot of things like that, we would never progress. And so I think basically it's more of the big rules and it's more of a taking a step back and understanding what we're doing and teaching the world on how to use AI the right way and install those ethics while we can right now. You know, stopping is like the parents saying, don't do this, but yet I'm going to do it in the background. I'm sorry, but, you know, Tesla is building robots to manage their lines. Those robots are ran by AI. And the only reason those robots will run properly is with a intuitive AI that can understand how to integrate with mankind, which is a portion of GPT chat. So I look at it as you want to stop something, but you're going to continue to use it so that you can get richer. And everyone else out there basically is going to be like, well, we got to wait until, you know, the forefathers out there, the rich people says, hey, you can use AI. I'm for open AI, which is giving the technology out to the world and teaching them how to use it properly, not being afraid of it, but actually even working with the government and putting in some kind of licensing, something that helps us, again, govern how we use this technology, but definitely not stopping it. It's a really good point. And again, we're just jumping back, basically, that you don't have to limit the technology. You just have to use the technology the right way. And that's it. Okay. And also, a lot of people, maybe like not technical people, actually really scared about AI replacing their jobs, just basically replacing them. What do you think about it? What's your take on that? Would be really interested. That's a good question. I think basically AI, again, it's not going to replace anyone. If the people that are afraid engage with AI and understand where it can help them with their jobs or their careers, then they would be less afraid of what's going on right now. When Google first started, it was like an encyclopedia. Most people didn't use it that way. You know, when we first started and it's like, hey, Google, just Google it. You know, if you don't know something, Google it, come up with a little answer, you verify. And it's like, oh, I got the right answer. I can go do this. You know, if I want to be a real estate agent, I can Google and understand what a real estate agent does. If I want to understand what tests I have to take, it'll tell me those things. AI is just another layer above what we had with Google, which is now it's an assistant to help you. I call it a life assistant. You know, if you want to understand something, you ask the AI. If you want, don't understand the details of how to get something done, it'll give you a step-by-step -step, you know, instructions on how to do that. That's where AI integrated with man is going to be very powerful. Now, of course, you're going to have some crazy person out there that probably says, I want to take it further. That's the one I'm more worried about. And that's where our governance of rules come in place, where AI should always be accompanied by a human being. It should be there to basically enhance what we're doing. 
If I'm driving, I'm driving home, and AI should be there to help me drive home, not drive my car home. I love my car today. I have a Mach-E. And I love that it is semi-autonomous. When I'm like tired or I'm coming home from a long trip from overseas, I get in my car. Do I have to be a completely aware when I'm driving? No, when I have an assisted AI. Do I want that AI to just take over and drive? No, because at the end of the day, there's other people, there's other things that can happen on the road. As we've seen with other cars where atrocities have happened, it's like, no, be aware because this is your life. On an airplane, I'm not just sitting there oblivious of what the plane is doing. I'm paying attention to the shape and looking out the window. My life might be in the pilot's hands, but my brain is basically watching to make sure I don't have to do the exit row in, in an emergency or something like that. That's how we should be looking at AI. It's a guidance. It's there to help us be better than what we are today. You know, if you look at, was it the doctor that did the surgery about a year ago for congenital twins with VRXI? AI was there to help guide and show him or her basically what was going on within the patient's body while they were doing the operation, which made the operation successful. Without AI, yes, we would have probably had to use human ingenuity to keep up with it, but the AI made it a lot easier and pretty much probably made it more successful than it was going to be beforehand. That's how AI is going to interface with us with driving trucks, driving cars, using computers, even cooking food, if that makes any sense, is there to help, not to replace. <laughs> I love these examples. And I think, as you mentioned, like most people just don't think about it the right way. They basically just assume, okay, AI going to replace me. Okay, I'm going to lose my job. <laughs> but basically, in most cases, what's going to happen, people who are actually using AI can take your job, not the other way around. Yes. Yes. The ones that are learn how to use the AI the right way will be the ones that excel in this industry. You're going to see somebody out there like, well, you're not a lawyer. Guess what? I got my lawyer AI assistant on my shoulder that can help me with my case. You know, you see cases on TV and TV shows all the time about small courts and how many people really don't understand how the court works. Well, if they had an AI to help them understand, they probably win more of their cases when they went into those small claims courts, you know, without going to the big lawyer that says, hey, we're going to win it, but I'm going to take 90% of whatever you win, you know? So in this case, now, the individual, again, is smart enough to get 100% of their case instead of 20% or 10% by using AI. You know, And that, if you ask me, is an enhancement versus I'm walking around like a Neanderthal and I don't know anything about anything. Now I have this electronic encyclopedia that can just beam me up like they did in the Matrix movie when he wanted to learn how to fly a helicopter. <laughs> yeah, it's a really good point about actually legal tech industry. I basically can see a lot of applications right now. Because AI actually can boost your productivity like 10x or let's say 100x. Because in legal industry, it's huge. Let's say you have hundreds of documents, each one, let's say 1,000 pages. So one person is just like impossible to analyze all the information. But people who actually know, okay, there is AI. It can help me to analyze that information. It can basically find the right information. Just let's say basic semantic search. That's it. You already get huge leverage of other people who are not using AI. Right. I think AI can actually help us with the ethics in some cases. One of the things I've been thinking about is what if we actually took culturalistic rules and governance ideas and things from multiple different cultures, pull that in an inference model, and then looked at AI and says, okay, let's talk about ethics based on these multiple different cultures that you understand. How would you ethically go forward with five or eight big rules or 10 big rules 
for these cultures to be able to use you effectively without causing problems or scaring people, things like that. I bet you we come out with some pretty good answers from that standpoint, at least a base that we could start with and then humans can add on to it. But I think, again, that's where AI is going to be helpful with helping us come up with answering the challenging questions or coming up with the basis of how do we answer the challenging questions or challenging issues. Definitely. Yeah, Tim, I don't want to take like a lot of your time and really appreciate you coming on the podcast. So really like your take on the way AI is developing right now, about the way people actually should think about AI and about using AI. Really appreciate you sharing all the experience, years of experience in the industry with the audience. I appreciate the call, the podcast. It's my pleasure. You know, I want to talk to more people and get the message out that we can't exist with AI. It's not going to replace us. It's there to help us. And I think we got a pretty dang good future to look forward to if we can get those big rules put together. You know, but we got to get our countries there first. <laughs> <laughs> okay. It's an amazing way to end the podcast. Okay. Thanks, Tim. Yep. Thank you, buddy. We'll talk soon. The Unleashing AI podcast is brought to you by Unleashing AI. To find out more about Unleashing AI and how innovative, custom-built AI can help your business, visit unleashing.ai. Also, make sure to search for Unleashing AI in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, or anywhere else podcasts are found. Make sure to click subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at Unleashing AI, thank you for listening.